This morning, I'll be reading from Matthew 7, verses 12 through 23, and that is found on page 812 in the Black Bibles around the room. When I finish, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and in response, we'll say, thanks be to God, just as a declaration of thanksgiving, that we do have this amazing word before us. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the truth that you reveal in it. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit to keep us on the narrow path. Help us just resist those temptations that would draw us to the path of destruction. Lord, we ask that you would reveal to us any place in our lives that we are struggling to hand over to you. I ask that you would open our hearts and our minds by the power of the Holy Spirit and that we would hear what you have to say to us today. I pray that you would guide Pastor Shea as he speaks and that you would reveal yourself through his message. In Jesus' name, amen. Good job. You guys had a seat without me asking you. You guys have done this a time or two. I appreciate you. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you this morning. It's good to see so many people here today, so many new faces, too. Uh, It is good to have you. If you're a guest, welcome. We are so glad you're here. My name is Shay. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Stones. And for the past few weeks, we've been going through uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And it's coming to a close now, so... Uh, the, the air and the, the tune from Jesus is starting to change a little bit. Uh, but before I get too far into that, uh, do me a favor. Uh, today's Veterans Day. Uh, can we have all the veterans stand up so we can honor you? If you've ever served. So I just want to give you guys a salute. Thank you so much for serving. Uh, I myself have been in the military for the past 20 years. Uh, I don't, I don't say that to try to take credit. 
Um, I say that as a means of, uh, I know the sacrifice that you've been through. I know uh, some of you have probably lost friends uh, in the process of serving your country. So I just want to honor you and say thank you for that. Um, And being in the military, I know there's a lot of funny stories that come out of the military. Um, And a lot of them circle around danger for some strange reason. Like we just, we like to put ourselves in danger. I I guess it's a prerequisite of being in the military. Um, But in the military, we have uh, what are called publications. It's, it's, the, uh, it's the Bible, if you will, for how we do our job. And sure enough, in, in every one of our publications, there's these weird warnings of stuff not to do. Um, and the reason it's funny is because somebody has probably actually done these stupid things <laughs> to make their way inside these publications. And uh, they, they're, they're the most obscure things. And you're, and you're thinking to yourself, nobody would ever do this. Uh, but sure enough, somebody has done it to make their way in that book. Uh, case in point, I used to be an enlisted flyer, so I flew on an airplane. I did in-flight refueling for a long time. And uh, part of that job was being uh, the, the cargo guy on, on, on the plane. So I was helping uh, bring the cargo on and weight and balance and everything. And uh, on the plane I was on, there was this big, large door. And once it went up, there was nothing between you and the ground but space and opportunity. Uh, so if that ground did something to you that day, it was a perfect opportunity to give it the people's elbow, if you know what I mean. Like, just jump right out there. And uh, there was warnings in the publications, like, don't, don't be around the cargo door if there's no net up, and don't play around this big, large cargo door. You're going to fall 20 feet. Uh, sure enough, <laughs> while I was uh, working on the airplane, somebody jumped out of the, out of the airplane because they thought it was going to be funny. Uh, and I don't know if they channeled their inner Spider-Man, but they landed on both feet. Uh, Broke both feet, but (laughs) the warning was there, and if he would have just listened, he'd be walking straight today. (laughs) But warnings, like that that Bible for that aircraft gave them the warning, and we see here in this passage, Jesus is actually giving us some warnings as well. Um, It's almost a Christian advisory, if you will. You know the parental advisory stickers that come on explicit albums? That's what Jesus is doing right here. He's giving us a Christian warning. There are dangers ahead. Watch out for them. Be aware of them. Christians have been saved by the grace of God and and through Jesus' sacrifice have been given entrance into the kingdom of heaven. But the kingdom of man and the things we have to go through in this life still present these ever dangerous uh, things that it tries to put us through. And so Jesus tells them to watch out. And these dangers are not always the fact that we rebel against God's rule and what he would have us do. Sometimes, uh, sometimes stuff just happens in this life. We live in a fallen world where things happen to us. And, and it's not because we've done anything. It's because we, we just live in this world that, that tries to, to offset us. And then there's other cases like in this passage when we endanger ourselves because we become lax in what we're supposed to be doing. Or maybe, and, and I'm guilty of this, uh, sometimes we uh, become lazy in our faith and we get caught off guard. And then there's other times where we're just not aware of the full, uh, the full extent of danger that we have ourselves in. And for whatever reason, Jesus offers us these dangers and he says to be aware of them. Watch out for them. And there's four things in this passage that he tries to get us to watch out for or to be aware of. And there's four things that we're going to go through. So uh, the first one is uh, false Christian living or false Christianity. The next one is false salvation, false prophets, and then false discipleship. 
And that's where we're going to be going through. It's real, it's real simple. I'll walk us through it. Um, if you're new to the Bible, we're going to be uh, in Matthew chapter 7. Chapter 7 is going to be the big number. <laughs> Starting at verse 12. That's going to be the little number that you're looking at. So let's read that together. Because uh, these are things we need to be aware of as well. Jesus wasn't just telling his followers to be aware of these things as he's speaking to them on the Sermon on the Mount. These are things that have been going on for the last 2,000 plus years. So we still need to be aware of them. So let's look at that. Verse 12 says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Some of you may recognize this as the golden rule, right? Uh, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I remember my teacher back in elementary school, she had a big old poster of this saying, uh, like it had like gold bars and stuff. I don't know where she was getting that from, but they they called it the golden rule. And uh, it's amazing that uh, the word of God is still being preached, even in secular environments, and we don't even know it. So praise God, like like God is still present, even where we don't recognize it. Um, But a lot of us have, have heard this golden rule before. We wouldn't, I don't think a lot of us would have associated it with the Bible, but uh, people have been stealing from the Bible for years, so good job, Jesus. The golden rule, treat others the way you would want to be treated. So in other words, Jesus is saying, think of a way that you would want to be treated, and then use that as a guideline for how you'll treat others. You want your kids to show you respect? Respect them. You want your boss to give you recognition and to to think highly of you, think highly of them. You want your spouse to greet you at the door when you come in and, and be cheerful that, that you've made it home? Do the same for them. Think of the way that you would want to be treated and then use that as a guideline for how you treat others. I want you to notice what Jesus doesn't say here. He doesn't say that you're to do to others so that they will do that thing to you. It's a, it's a, it's a thing of reciprocity, right? Like, I'm only going to do good things for you if you do them for me. But Lord forbid you cross me in some kind of way and then you're cut off. We play that game, right? Or check out what else he doesn't say. He doesn't say uh, the, the, the negative of that. Do to others because they did that thing to you. So uh, it's, it's, that one is the negative. So uh, you did something to me, so I'm going to get you back. You, you, uh, you talk bad about me, so I'm going to talk bad about you. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, think of the way that you would want someone to treat you and then use that as a guideline for how you treat others. And he says, this is the basis for the entire Old Testament. And that's fascinating, right? Because we we look at the Old Testament, we look at stories like the story of uh, Cain and Abel. Cain definitely should have treated Abel a little bit better than he did. If you don't know the story, Cain kills his brother. He should have treated him better. He should have thought of the way that he wanted to be treated and then exercised that. Abraham and Sarah. Abraham would go, they would go into a new city, like like, uh, they would go into a new country or something like that. They would go before the king, and then Abraham would act like uh, Sarah wasn't his wife. And he'd push her off on other people. And God's saying, no, treat others the way you would want to be treated. You wouldn't want someone to treat you that way. Jesus is saying this, that is the basis for the entire Old Testament. And we think through, the, 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 that was the spirit of the law behind the Ten Commandments and the Levitical laws. Treat others the way you would want to be treated. You don't want to be murdered, don't murder people. You don't want people to steal from you, don't steal from them. You get how this works. 
He's saying that this is the basis for the message that he was trying to communicate through his prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah and Nahum. God says, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to be uh, respectful toward me, so I'm going to treat you like you're my own children, even though you're spitting in my face on a constant basis. Even through that, I want you to treat me a certain way, so I'm going to treat you a certain way. He's saying this is, the, this is it. This is the baseline for the entire message of the Old Testament. Treat others the way you would want to be treated. And there's a way that a person can say that they live by the golden rule, but it'd be a, it'd be a futile effort or possibly even an exercise in self-serving hypocrisy unless it's generated from the heart. God has to renew a person's heart in order to live by this golden rule. And there's good news in that. Because through the sacrifice of Christ, through, through what he did on the cross, he made it a way that we can renew and purify our hearts so we can actually live by this golden rule. There's no other way that we could have done so. We, that is what the entire Old Testament was showing us. It's impossible for us, if, we, if left to our own vices, we would do everything that is unpleasing to God. But through the sacrifice of Christ, we can now live a life that is pleasing to God. That's why Christ is our hero. To truly love others is to give to them for their benefit. That's the basis of the golden rule. Another way to look at this rule is to, to bless others in the same way that you yourself have been blessed with. So you've experienced God's mercy. We should be quick to give other people mercy. It shouldn't be this thing that we play with and say, maybe, maybe I'll forgive you. Maybe, maybe I'll show you mercy. We should be quick to extend mercy because that's how God treated us. We bless others with what we have been blessed with. So it should eliminate from our community things like isolation and loneliness and dissension if we were quick to extend mercy. It should, <clears throat> since we have experienced the forgiveness of God, we should be quick to forgive others. Not toying around with it. Not saying I'm only going to forgive you if you, if you offer me your apology. We should be quick to forgive others. It should eliminate things from our community like gossip and bitterness and separation if we were to live this way. We've experienced the love of God for us as his children, so we should not only love our neighbors, but we should be loving our enemies. Everybody who is an other. So it should eliminate from our community things like racism and ageism and classism. There should be no isms in the community of faith because we have received this love from God. We understand what loving, monogamous dedication means from God, so we should be able to extend that to our spouses. It should eliminate things like adultery and divorce and lust from our community because we understand what, what, how God has loved us, and so we extend that. The world is watching how Christians treat each other, and, and not only each other, but those outside of the faith, and they're confused about who God actually is. Beware of pre pre uh, presenting a false Christianity to the world. Christians find themselves in a dangerous place when they're not treating others the way they want to be treated. Jesus says this goes against everything he was trying to communicate through his word. So Jesus tells us to be aware. Be aware of our actions toward others. Be aware of presenting this false view of Christianity to the world. Be aware that the way you treat people is the way they're going to think that God wants to treat them. 
Jesus also says to be aware of false salvation. Let's look back in at verse 13. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So Jesus said there's, there's two roads that you could take. There, there's two uh, entrances that you can take. Don't take the broad one. Take the narrow one. It's like Jesus is, you know, the construction workers. Like there's a bridge out, and they're like trying to wave you down with their flags because you're going like 50 miles an hour toward this broken bridge. That's Jesus here. He's like, don't go this way. This, this way is going to lead to your death. This way leads to life. Go this way. And sometimes we ignore him and we take that other road. Jesus is saying, take the narrow road. It's way better. Don't take the broad road. I know that broad road, it's, it's easy. It looks nice. It's nicely paved. It's a scenic route. Uh, there might be a Starbucks along the way that you can stop and get some coffee. Like, there's all these things to look at. You don't care if there's a cow on the side of the road because there's so much space. You can just go around them. It's broad. It's wide. It's easy. There's room for everybody on this road. doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter your beliefs. Doesn't matter your worldview. Doesn't matter your sexuality. Doesn't matter your lifestyle. Doesn't matter if you're living your best life now or like Nietzsche, you think God is dead. Everybody's welcome on this road. Come on on this road. We can do it together. And it's popular too. Everybody's on this road. So it must be the right road to take, right? And it, and it feels good. This, this road is nice. It's, it's nicely paved. There's no, there's no potholes. There's nothing, there's nothing to get in your way. There's nothing to impede your way. And, and I'll tell you a little secret. Uh, the keeper of this broad road knows that he should keep it nice and smooth for you. Because uh, Lord forbid you hit a pothole every now and then. You'll start to wonder why you're on this broad road. But take the broad road. Take the broad road, this keeper of the road says. It's comfortable, but, but this comfort is, is, is deceiving because the only place it's headed is towards your death and destruction. Jesus says, don't, don't take that road. It's not for you. But this broad road, it's, it's all about you. It's all about your happiness and your comfort. You only have to worry about yourself on this road. It's, it's the road where you could be as selfish as you want to be. So it's easy on this road to write off church. Because it may be getting in the way of stuff that you want to do, that, you, that you'd be rather doing instead. It's much harder to, to not forsake the fellowship of the saints. So take the easy road. It's easy on this road to be harsh towards your kids or, or your spouse or your boss or your parents. And I'm, I'm talking to myself on this one. It's easy on this road to go down this road and be harsh towards those people. Because they're impeding on your time or they're getting on your last nerve. It's much harder to extend loving kindness toward those who get on your nerves. So take the easy road. It's easy to express your sexuality your way because it's what makes you happy. It's much, much harder to present your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. So take this easy road. It's easy to return violence for violence on this road because you will not tolerate disrespect. It's much harder to allow God in his timing to exercise his judgment. So take the easy road. It's, much, it's, it's easier that way. Jesus tells them to be aware of this road. It might be nicely paved. You, you might get everything your way. It might be comfortable, but the destination you're headed toward is torment, death, and destruction. Jesus is saying, don't, don't take that broad road. Take the narrow road. Enter by the narrow gate. 
Jesus says that this narrow gate, it's, it's, it may be restrictive, it may be harder, but it's better because it explodes out into life. There's life behind this road. There's much less room on this road. So that cow that was on the broad road that you could just drive around, that cow is now in your way, and, and, and like you can't get over because somebody's in your way, and you're bumping into each other, and you're stepping on each other's toes, and there might be a few car accidents every now and then, but you are traveling toward life. As you're living in the Christian life, sometimes you're going to bump into each other. Sometimes you're going to rub each other the wrong way and get on each other's nerves. Sometimes you're going to have to go to someone and apologize. But it's the narrow way. It's the narrow road, and it's leading towards life. In Luke uh, 14, 33, Jesus says that in order to be his disciple, in order to travel down this road, you have to be willing to give up everything. You have to be willing to give up everything in order to follow him. So at this narrow gate, the entrance to this road, Jesus is calling you to drop all your baggage before you enter it. He's inviting you to drop your isolation you feel alone. He's, he's, he's inviting you to drop that baggage. He's inviting you to drop the baggage of frustration, of pride, of unforgiveness, of control, of, of self-indulgence, of self-centeredness. He's inviting you to drop all that baggage at the gate and follow his narrow way. That road may be harder, but you're going to gain so much more. And once you enter this gate and shed your baggage that you try to enter with, you'll see that it explodes out into the richness of life. Look at what Jesus says in John 10, 9 through 10. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and to have it abundantly. There is an abundant life in Christ. This way may, may seem narrow and restricted, but it's the way of life. Jesus says that he is the door, that he is the gate. He wants you to choose him. And if, you, and if you're here today and you're not a Christian, this is my plea for you. Choose Christ. Don't choose that other road. That road, it may, it may seem nice. And, and it may seem like it's, it's an easier way to go. It might be easier promotions. It, it might be... Uh, it might be an easier marriage, or you might just want to get away and escape the life that you're in, but that life is leading to death and destruction. Choose Christ. He is life abundant. He's the door that you can enter by to enter this life. And if you're, like I said, if you're not a Christian, this, this, is, this is my invitation to you. Choose, choose Jesus. In, in this Christian life, you'll be given a family who loves you, and you love them. You'll be given a new outlook on life, better than any self-help book could ever present to you. You'll be given a true and good king who will help show you the way to go so you're not trying to figure things out on your own. You'll be given triumph over sin and temptation. You don't have to struggle with those things anymore. You'll be given a future hope that one day all the, all the pain and destruction and everything that goes on bad in this life will seem like a fleeting, distant memory because you'll be able to enjoy Jesus for all eternity face to face. That's the hope we have in Christ. This road, this, this narrow way, it may be tough and it's not easy. 
It's going to be the most beautiful road you'll ever take in your life. Choose Jesus. Be aware of that other road. It's not for you. Jesus says also to be aware of false prophets. Look at verse 15. He says, be aware of false prophets. (coughs) I don't know where I come up with this stuff. (coughs) Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. What is a prophet? I had to stop and ask myself that this week. Um, There's three classifications of people that lived in Jesus' time. You had the king, you had the priest, and the prophet. Uh, The king was the person who was uh, God's appointed person who was the representative of the people to the rest of the nation. So they helped set rules, they helped govern, they helped keep the people safe. That was the king's role. Um, The priest was the person who was the people's representative to God. So as the people were sinning and they're trying to come close to God, it was the priest who would take the prayers and the intercessions on behalf of the people. He would take them to God. The prophet was the person who was the mouthpiece of God for the people. So anything that God had to say to the people, he would say it through the prophet. So Jesus is saying, beware of that false prophet. Beware of the person who says they're coming, telling you a message from God, but is actually trying to lead you toward that that broad, wide road of death and destruction. Be aware of them. It's a warning against those who who would speak falsely for God or would contradict what God has already laid out in his word. They're they're not an advocate of Jesus' narrow way. So Jesus is saying, be aware of them. Watch out for them. And false prophets, if we look at it like that, could be anybody or anything, especially for us today. We have all kinds of false prophets in our culture today. The word of God says to to love your wife like Christ loved the church and and for wives to to respect their husbands because they're the head of the household. But but your friends are telling you you should just get a divorce because don't you deserve to be happy too? False prophets. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But that popular speaker is saying that uh, you, you make your own truth, and you can pave your own way, and you make your life better. False prophets. The Bible comes along and says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and that this is you, you should honor it and hold it in reverence. But Burger King is saying you can have it your way. <laughs> False prophets. Jesus says, be <laughs> Jesus says, be aware of these false prophets. And that those who truly belong to Christ, you'll see them. They will start to bear the fruit of the Spirit of God. So if you're walking this narrow path of Christ, doing to others what you would have them do to you, the Spirit will begin producing this good fruit in your life. And as people follow you, They'll start to see your your love, your joy, your peace, your your patience, your kindness, your goodness, your faithfulness, your gentleness, your self-control. They'll see these things exuding from you. And for those of you who are leaders, um, as you look back and you see the people who are following you, you should see it in their lives as well. And that may be a challenge for some of us because some of us have kids that are following us And we're like, oh, my goodness, I'm failing as a parent. Uh, I don't see the love, joy, peace, patience coming from my children. 
Um, and they don't see it for me because 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm still putting them to bed. <laughs> that was me, sorry. Um, Jesus loves you. you. You are a work in progress. You don't have it, it's probably because you're not asking for it. Because God says those things that you ask for and you ask for in my name, I'm going to give it to you in abundance. I love you. I'm going to give you good treasures. I'm going to give you that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. Just ask me for it. That, that is the good news of the gospel. We, we have a good, good father who is waiting to lavish gifts upon us. <clears throat> so Jesus' disciples are there to examine any prophet to see if their lives and their message are in congruence with the narrow way that Jesus is advocating. Look at John, 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Look at what it says here. It says, 1 John. Let me go there. First John 4, 1 through 3, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Every, test, the, test the fruit of the people who are trying to convey a message to you. In other words, Jesus is asking us to be fruit inspectors. Inspecting the fruit of every message that we see. But here's the thing. We're not to judge by superficial criteria. We're not to judge people by uh, their success or their, their style or their money or their popularity or their charisma, their, their good stage presence. Whether they have large followings or, or nice, you know, full beard. I see some nice beards out there. Don't judge by that. But instead, we're to judge by the person's righteousness, their humility, their purity, their prayerfulness, their obedience to Jesus' teachings, their truthfulness, their love, their generosity, their transparency. Do they have secret sins? Those are the fruits that we're to judge by. Jesus is saying that as the Spirit lives within his true prophets, his Spirit will cause those good fruits to exude from the person. Just like the, the tree in and of itself doesn't have much to do with the fruit it spreads, but it's the goodness that flows through that tree. It's the life that flows through that tree. It's the same way. You're not going to be able to produce fruit on your own. If you're saying, man, I need to be more humble, so I'm just <clears throat> humble, it's not going to work. <laughs> humility comes from living a life in proximity with the humility of Christ. That's how we grow in humility. And then Jesus starts talking like, he starts talking really heavy about fruit. And I'm not sure if he just got kind of hungry at this point. But he was like, he was on this whole fruit thing. He says, uh, are, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree that bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Um, I'm not an avid arborist. I, I don't do trees. That's just not my gig. <clears throat> so it's, it was kind of lost on me, the fullness of what Christ was trying to get at here. Um, and I think, because we're so far removed, that might be a lot of us here. Like, what is Jesus really trying to say? So I thought I would kind of change what Jesus is saying just a little bit 
to match us here, 2018, Sparks, Nevada. All right? Here's my question to you. Do quality fish come out of the Sparks Marina? God, no. <laughs> quality fish come from the, the, the flowing streams of the Truckee River where, where life is oxygenating the water and they grow to be healthy fish. That's where we get our fish from, right? Does fresh powder on Mount Rose come after a nice spring rain? God, no. You can't, you can't ski down a, a wet a wet mountain, you break your neck. A cold, crisp winter provides fresh, powdery snow that we can go up into the wilds of Nevada and experience uh, God's, God's creativity with snow. How beautiful is that? Here's my last one. Um, is the best all-you-can-eat sushi place in town at your local gas station? God, no. Don't do that. Quality fish comes from a quality restaurant. Don't listen to people who try to advocate for those things. Don't listen to the person who tries to tell you to get sushi from the gas station. They are leading you to death. Or at least you're going to wish you were dead. Don't get sucked in by people who try to tell you they have the way to a prosperous life when they're not advocating for the narrow way of Christ. They are leading you toward death. It doesn't matter your self-help book. It doesn't matter if you can live your best life now. It's not the way of Christ. Christ said, pick up, pick up your cross and follow me daily. And if that other way is telling you that you, you can have what you want your way, it's not Christ. Some may even try to say they, they have their own narrow way. They'll say stuff like, don't eat this, or, or don't wear that, or, or don't associate with those kind of people. It may be narrow, but it's not Christ narrow. Be aware of those false prophets. Be aware of people who try to tell you that you can please God by abstaining from certain things <coughs> or making yourself more righteous. Those are false prophets. Christ makes you righteous. Be aware of false prophets who say that you can still embrace your sin, but, but draw near to God. It's not going to work. Moses tried to approach God in the burning bush. He said, take off your sandals. The place you're standing on is holy ground. I don't want to kill you. My holiness is so unlike you. You can't draw near to me with your sin. But I can take your sin away. Be aware of false prophets who try to tell you that Jesus is not the only way to heaven or that there's no danger of going to hell. Those are false prophets. They're misleading you. They are, they are ravenous wolves who want to devour you. Or if they, or if they don't want to devour you, the one who sent them surely is. Be aware of them. They know their ultimate destruction is to be cut down and thrown into the fire, and they want to take you with them. Be aware. Test the message that they're saying. See if it lines up with what Christ is advocating. If not, run. Run for your life. Follow the way of Christ. Jesus says, be aware of false discipleship. Look at what it says in verse 21. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name? 
do mighty works in your name. Uh, discipleship is a word that, that simply means uh, someone who is a fully devoted follower of a teaching. Uh, and in this circumstance, it's a, a fully devoted follower of Christ. So, so when uh, he's saying that people will say to me, Lord, Lord, they're, declare, they're declaring with their mouths that they want to be disciples of Christ. But there's a way that you can say something with your mouth but not mean it in your heart. Are you a fully devoted follower of Christ? These verses say that the person who gets to enter into the kingdom of heaven is the person who does the will of the Father. Not the person who just gives it lip service. It's the person who does the will of the Father. And, and I hear you. For you avid theologians, I, I hear you. Uh, salvation comes through faith alone, uh, through grace alone, through, through Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. It's not a result of our own works so that anyone could boast. I get what you're saying. Um, and while it's true that no one can enter the kingdom through their obedience, it's also true no one will ever enter the kingdom who is not obedient. Look at what John Calvin said. Some of you know that name. He says, it is therefore faith alone which justifies, and yet the faith which justifies is not alone. In other words, faith will always be accompanied by obedience, at least true faith. An oral confession of Jesus as Lord can mask an unrepentant heart. So Jesus says, those who enter the kingdom are those who do the will of the Father. But what is the will of God? I feel like a lot of us have asked that question before. What is, what is the will of God for my life? <clears throat> and there's a few places in the Bible that talks about the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, give thanks to God in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, be holy and avoid sexual immorality. Ephesians 5 says, be wise and don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Micah 8 says, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Nowhere in there does it say that the will of God is to prophesy in God's name, to cast out demons in his name, to do mighty works in his name. See, the people that were approaching God, in, in, in Jesus, in the example that he was given, were relying on things that were not the will of the Father. And some of us, um, there's, there's going to be some of us who try to do the same thing. We're going to try to approach God, and we're going to try to list off the things we did, and, and it's not going to work. We're going to say stuff like, wasn't I an astute theologian? Let me in. Didn't I reject R-rated movies and explicit music? I should be on your team. Didn't I stop hanging around all those filthy non-believers? Didn't I speak in perfect Christianese? Didn't I preach all those sermons and serve all those homeless people? Wasn't I just being who you created me to be? And Jesus is going to say, touche, you, you did all those things, but none of those things were my will. Did you walk humbly with your God? Did you love mercy? Did you act righteously? Were you holy? That is my will. Be aware of reading the Bible as it relates to godliness and to righteousness, and then not doing what it says. We're to do the will of the Father. So when, so when the Bible says to take care of those who take care, can't take care of themselves, like the widows and the orphans, do it. When God says to test him in tithing, see, to, see if he doesn't open up the storehouses of heaven for you, do it. Or when he says to pray for those who are being sent out as missionaries, or in our context, are being sent out as church planters, pray for them. Do it. Do the will of the Father. 
And what's the danger if we don't? Like, what, what kind of danger? I get that there's all these warning signs, but what is the danger we're in if we don't? Look at verse 23. It says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Oh, my gosh. That's probably of the things I've read in the Bible. That is a scary one. And here's why it's scary. I, I was kind of thinking through, like, workers of lawlessness. Like, I've heard something similar to that before. And sure enough, I looked in 2 Thessalonians 2, and God equates Satan, or the Antichrist, as the man of lawlessness. So in other words, Jesus is saying that those who don't do this will are, are in and of themselves little Antichrists. That is scary. Because it means we have to be fully on board with Christ. Not, not this halfway thing that we try to do. There's, there's a saying in hip-hop. It says, um, ain't no such things as halfway crooks. Jesus is saying something similar here. Ain't no such thing as halfway Christians. You're, you're, either, you're either all in or you're not. You're either modeling Christian living or you're probably not a Christian. You're either walking the way of Jesus or you're walking the path of destruction. There is no third alternative. You're either following God's word or you're following some false prophet who is trying to devour you. You're either a true disciple or you're not a disciple at all. There is no third way. These final verses in the Sermon on the Mount are meant to push us toward exclusivity, toward, toward commitment to Christ, toward prayer. We need God's mercy. We need God to wake us up to these things because sometimes we sleep on them and we don't understand the danger we're placing ourselves in. We need God to wash us clean with his blood, which is exactly what he did through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. So we pray for him. God, please help us. And we see, because we're, because we're in danger, and he's, he's given us these warnings. Um, you, know, you know, like when you're on, somebody's on a rickety bridge, and somebody on the other side, they, said, they say, watch out. What's the first thing you do? You, you, you look down. Like, you look for the danger. And so uh, somebody has to go across that rickety bridge on our behalf because we're too scared to cross it ourselves. And they have to throw us back a rope so that we can cross in safety. But here's the thing. Through Christ, he didn't just throw us a rope. He built an entire new titanium bridge. And he says, come to me. All you are, who are heavy laden and who, who, are, who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is the hero of the story. Jesus showed us the way to live righteously toward others. He made a new way for us when the only road left led to death and destruction. He established himself as the greatest prophet, so we don't have to listen to cheap knockoffs and things that would lead us to death. Jesus bled and died to wash us clean from our sins. He rose again from the grave to secure us in eternal life. And then not only that, he left us his Holy Spirit so we could be true disciples. What a great God. That's awesome news. We're not alone. We're not trying to figure this stuff out on our own. We have Jesus with us right now. He is living, ruling, and reigning right from where he's at. Praise God. Without Jesus, we'd be stuck entering the wrong gate, traveling the wrong road, eating bad fruit, following phony prophets, being halfway Christians, and all the while thinking everything was all good. To the praise of God, Jesus is warning us, telling us to go the good way, travel, travel the right road, 
follow the true prophet. Don't get, don't get stuck following those ways. Be aware of these dangers. The, the, the worst thing that you could do is listen to, to this entire Sermon on the Mount and then do nothing to change or improve your lives. Jesus has made a way. He wants you to be aware of the warning signs. He wants you to cling close to Christ because he is the true way to go. Amen? Amen. Y'all pray with me. Lord, God, thank you for this message this morning. Um, this, is, um, this is definitely speaking to me, God, because there's so, it's, it's so easy to be caught up in going the wrong way or, or so easy to be unaware of the danger I'm placing myself in. And I'm sure that I'm praying for a lot of us when I say um, far too many times I've looked around and been on the wrong road. Uh, Jesus, we need you. Uh, we need your help. We need your guidance. We need your love. We need your mercy for our lives, God. Would you reign it abundantly upon us? Give us your grace day by day, God. Show us the right way to go. We love you, Jesus. Amen.